0: Well, it's good to be here again with you. It's been quite a while since uh, I've had this privilege of being with you. I see a lot of familiar faces, and it's good to see you and to worship with you today. Actually, before I read the scripture this morning, I want to just begin my message by um, sharing a little bit of a, a, a real story about what I want to talk with you about today. It actually is a story from very, very early in my ministry. It was while I was still a student at Calvin Seminary. And I was serving a summer assignment, uh, a time when, uh, as a student, you would go and serve a church for the summer period. And I was serving in Forest, Ontario. It was my very, very first time uh, preaching, very first time uh, having the experience of what it was like being a pastor. And I remember that summer, the church that I was involved with in Forest participated in a summer evangelism program that was run by the ministerial association of that town. And we agreed. And I must say, um, on the case of some of our church, it was rather reluctantly. But we said, yes, we want to participate. And I'll never forget one part of that. Uh, It was the very first time that I was going to go and knock on some doors with an elder. And we were going to do some evangelistic calling. And I remember that first, very first door that we were going to knock on. We were sitting together in a car as we were waiting to go to that door and praying for God's blessing as we were going to, quote, evangelize the people on the other side of that first door. I'm not, I just recall... Uh, feeling this strong feeling that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I remember all these kinds of thoughts going through my mind. Like, who was I to knock on somebody's door and ask them about their relationship with God? How was I going to do that and not come off like some kind of a religious nut, acting as if I knew something they didn't know? And I remember, actually... As I was preparing for this message, I remember the feeling of thinking, I really don't want to come off like a vacuum cleaner salesman. Now, some of you are too young to know what that means, but years ago, there would actually be salesmen that would come to your door, knock on your door to sell you a big, fancy, expensive, very expensive, remember how much they cost, a vacuum cleaner, and if you let them in the door... They could stay for an hour at least, and you just wanted them to leave. And I knew I didn't want to come off like that. And sitting in that car as I was praying with my elder for God's help, I remember just feeling this deep sense of fear. What in the world were we doing? And then we, our prayer ended. We got out of the car, and I can still remember the day It was a hot day. The sun was blazing hot. I could still feel the heat. And there were a lot of children in the front yard, kind of screaming and crying like young kids love to do, and a couple of dogs in the backyard that were barking. And as we walked up, knocked on that screen door. It was one of those doors where you could kind of look inside and see the other side, and there were a lot of toys on the ground. Got a clear feeling that there was a lot of activity going on in this house, and there was a woman at the kitchen sink, with her hands in the water, washing dishes, and I remember the look in her face as she turned and looked at us. She brushed back her hair, wiped off some some sweat from her forehead, and she glanced up at us, wondering what in the world we were doing, and I remember her gruff question, What do you want? I don't remember exactly what we were going to say, but I do remember my elder opened his mouth first, and he said something like this, Would you like us to tell you how to obtain eternal life? (laughs) I know, not a great way to break the ice. (laughs) And we knew it, and she knew it. But what I remember most about the story was in that awkward silence after that question, I remember she obviously had a sense of humor because this busy, busy mother said, Thank you, but I don't believe I could stand it. (laughs) Mm. And that was my first attempt at evangelism. (laughs) Not exactly a stellar performance. And I have a hunch if um, some of you, even as you came in the room, and um, if you looked at the title and you knew that there was going to be a survey later in the service and all of those different things, you probably thought, oh, (sighs) evangelism, sharing my faith. And you probably thought that is the last thing... I ever want to be caught doing. Maybe you have some stories yourself that sounded like the one I did or you've heard enough to know that's not what you want to do. Communicating our faith to people can be a scary proposition. And just add to that the reality that most of the ways over the last 40 or 50 years that we've done it, uh, many of them, I would just want to just humbly say, even though God used some of them, many of them just don't work very well in today's world if they ever did. Cold calling would be one of them, just kind of like what I was describing. Knocking on doors of people you don't know who probably want to visit from you as much as they want to go visit their dentist. (laughs) Or standing on a street corner telling people they need to repent and be saved. And I tell you, I just heard this a couple of weeks ago, so it's fresh in my mind. There's people still doing this. Standing on a street corner in downtown Kitchener, telling people they need to repent and be saved, or they're going to spend an eternity in a fiery place called hell. And it might be true, might be true, but I'm not so sure that's the way Jesus would want us to go about doing it. Quoting Bible verses at people, telling them what they need to know and what they need to do without really building a trust relationship with them. We all know what it feels like to be lectured at. Not a lot of fun. So no wonder sharing your faith with other people is a scary and unwelcome proposition. Now, I want to just, if that's what it's like for us, just imagine what it's like for those of us that we are to share our faith with, what it feels like for them. Nobody wants to be somebody else's project. Isn't that right? There are many bad examples about how not to share our faith with other people. But here's what my goal is this morning, and then I'm going to get to the the passage that we're going to look at. My goal this morning is to just ask you, would you please just, just relax this morning? And I want to just encourage you to perhaps imagine how we can go about sharing our faith, what is important to us about Jesus Christ, with people in some ways that actually might connect with others, and that I would really honestly think of doing. And I want to do that this morning by first of all reminding you of what God's mission is, and then I'll explain how I want to talk about that later. But I want to just start by looking at a passage in the Bible. You can take out your Bibles, or it's, I think the words will be up on the screen. Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. And I want to just start by especially just highlighting a few things from this passage. It reads like this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, if you just look at that passage a little bit more with me this morning, look what Jesus begins with, what he's doing. He's traveling through the towns and the villages, and he's teaching at their synagogues. That was a name for their places of worship. And as he's doing that, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Do you notice Matthew uses the word good news of the kingdom? He heals all their diseases and sicknesses, it says. Now I want to just dwell for just a few moments on that term, the good news of the kingdom. It's helpful for us to know that that is a phrase that Matthew, in particular, of all the gospel writers, loves to use. In fact, he uses it 33 times in his gospel account. Good news of the kingdom. And I want to just highlight that this morning because if you're going to be involved in any way with sharing a message of Jesus with other people, it's good to remember what Jesus did. Wouldn't you agree? And what Jesus did is he shared the good news of the kingdom. Now, that's really critical. I want you to just to let that settle in. He didn't come to beat people over the head. Now, if, if there's anybody who would have had a right to do that, Jesus could do that. And there were times, I'll admit, in the, in the gospel of Matthew and others, where he appropriately chastised warned, had some hard things to say to people, but all of these different places, when it talks about what Jesus did here, he sa- it says he had good news of the kingdom to share. Now, I'm not sure what you call what my elder and I did in forest that morning. Um, one thing I noticed was we're going door to door doing cold calling. When Jesus did it, he started at the places of worship He talked with other people. He wanted them to experience and and know what it was to be part of sharing this good news. Very different than simply out of the blue starting knocking on doors and doing things like that. He came and he shared the good news. And I think part of what he was doing when he said that was he knew that they would understand this. The God of Israel, Jesus is basically saying, is very close to you. He wants to intersect with your life. You know, one of the things, I'm not going to talk a lot about this today, but right after the good news, it says, he healed every sickness and every disease. And without getting into what that means exactly, and does he do that today, and that's a whole other message that I'll save for another time. But one thing I do think it means is this, that he had a message to bring that was very practical. It was very interactive. It was close to them. It was like he was saying to them, I have good news to tell you. God is coming close. He's going to intersect with your life. It's going to affect your every single part of your life, and it's going to meet the needs that you have. I've come with this good news, not only that God is close, but he wants to do something in your life. In Jesus, God's kingdom is near. Now read on a little bit further. It's kind of like now Jesus... Matthew invites us to take a 10,000-foot view in the next part of the passage. Okay? He says, "When Jesus sees the crowds, they were he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd." He's giving us a picture of what Jesus sees. And he uses a metaphor there that immediately in that audience, they would have understood what it meant. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I don't think we get that one quite as much as they would have in the first century. But I'll tell you this, sheep needed a shepherd. It's one thing. They don't do very well on their own. They depend on a shepherd to keep them safe, to make sure they have something to eat, to know that there's somebody's covering their back, somebody's going to be there for them when they feel lost, all of those different things. That's what people would have known what Jesus was talking about when he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at the crowds of people in those towns and villages, he saw sheep without a shepherd. Now, why is that important? Because when we talk about sharing your faith with other people, a fancy word for communicating the message of Jesus, we're talking about evangelism here, don't you think it would be very good to have that same perspective that Jesus had? I think that's why Matthew stopped there and he said, I want you to know when Jesus sees people, this is what he saw. He had compassion on them. Did you hear that? And I want to tell you before I say anything else, I think that's the one thing Jesus wants us to know. When you are sharing your faith with other people, when you're acting like Jesus did, you need to have that same perspective. Now, I don't know about you, what do you see when you see a crowd? When you're in the mall, try to get past the idea that you were at Christmas and it was busy and you're feeling cranky and all that. But when you're sitting in a chair and you look and you see lots of people, or when you're in the subway station in Toronto and you see the hordes of people walking by, or you're at a Blue Jay game and you're sitting there and everybody's cheering and you just take some time to look and think, it says here that when Jesus saw that, there's something that got triggered for him in his heart, and it was compassion. Compassion. He he saw what they were really going through. Now, I want to ask you this, friends, before we talk about uh, methods and how you share your faith and all this. When you see the crowds, do you see them through Jesus' eyes? Or do you see them through your preconceived ideas of how they are or aren't or what they should be like? And I want to really challenge you in this one. That this really comes down to the very root of whether we as a congregation will be able to be one that God uses in the way He wants to use us to be His witnesses. Without compassion, without compassion, not very much is going to happen. Jesus looked at the crowds, He had compassion. And I really want to challenge you to say, I think He expects the same from His followers. If you think of any occasion of evangelism gone bad, this is probably where it comes to. Think of movies. There's so many of them where the Christian faith today has been characterized as not a very compassionate place. It usually comes down to this very thing that Jesus wants us to dwell on for a few moments. When you think of compassion, I want to ask you, you think of TV evangelists, do you usually think of them as compassionate? Now, I want to just be honest. I'm not trying to get into into TV evangelists' hearts, and I don't really know if they are or aren't. But the way they communicate, the way they're coming off, does it feel like they're really interested in the well being of those they're sharing their message with? Don't you think sometimes they look very angry? Some of them seem more interested in pointing out people's faults than they do having compassion. And I want to just say, when you think of evangelism, what do you think of? Don't you think this is really maybe one of the reasons why some of us never step out of our comfort zone? That we somehow think we have to be something different than what Jesus was? I think we would do well to do like Jesus did it. The only kind of evangelism that's going to get me out of bed in the morning, i got to say, is when I can go and I have this perspective that Jesus gives of looking at the crowds looking around, even here at you, and going tomorrow morning when I'm walking around and knowing that when Jesus sees them, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I want to encourage you to try to wear that for a while. Go around and look at people with different eyes. Now, to really get practical this morning, to switch a little bit, One of the things I'd like to do is to talk a little bit about how we might begin to play that out in our lives, using this passage as the background. And I thought of just trying to spell out for you a word. How do I effectively share my faith? And I'm just going to walk us through the word "share" and just say a little bit about each of those letters of that word. The first one I want to do this morning is begin with the letter S in share. How do I begin to share my faith well? Number one, being sure of God's intentions. Being sure of what God's intentions are with people that I meet. I want to ask you this. Are you sure, do you know when you share your faith with somebody, are you, what do you believe God's intentions are in that? Maybe you never thought of that before, but I think it's really critical for me at least. I mean, no one in their right mind is going to stick their neck out Invite people to come and know and experience a relationship with God if they don't believe to the bottom of their hearts that it's God who wants to introduce himself to them. If you aren't convinced about that, if you believe somehow that God's going to have some ulterior motives or he's going to do something to your friend or that person you meet that is harmful to them or that is not going to do exactly but show his heart to them, I believe you're never going to be somebody willing to stick your neck out and share your faith let's just turn around that a little, just for a moment to make the point I'm trying to make Just imagine you meet a new friend somebody you're, you get to know them they're a colleague at work um, you hang out together you just notice you, you like how they are who they are but you know that they're a person who, who even though you, you kind of connect with them, they don't have a relationship with God. You can tell it through their language, the way they, what they talk about, how they're struggling with something, they're stuck on a point. You get a feeling about that. Now, I'm starting to care a lot about this person. I tell you, do you think you will share your faith in Jesus Christ with that person? If you think that when they meet that person, when they meet God, the one you're introducing them to, that, that they will be treated poorly? I don't think so. Just imagine, will you, treat, will you show yourself or will you introduce that person to your friends if they're going to be snobbish, rude or at a deeper level if they're going to shun him or turn him away? I think it's so critical when you begin to think about being a witness for God that you know for sure that you have good news to share of a God who really wants what is best for every single person you meet. You're not going to meet anybody that God doesn't want the best for them. The obvious question is, how do you know that? How do you know that for sure? And here's where it gets really tricky. Because I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, and I went to catechism classes, and I learned lots of theology. And I'm not going to get into all the intricacies of it, but I know we even... Even teach some things at at times make it sound like, well, God, he's going to, you know, he knows exactly what's going to happen to each person. He knows down the road what's, whether they're in or they're out. He knows this. He knows that. He knows all of that stuff. And I, I remember growing up with all of that. And I got to tell you, it was not a very inspiring way to encourage me to say, I want to introduce people to God. It almost made it sound like God's doing it all anyway. So here I am. But then there's these passages in the scripture that kind of just make it a little bit more complex than at least how I was always taught who God is. And I'll give you one of them, 2 Peter 3 verse 9. And this is Peter's words. It says, God isn't late with his promises as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you. Now, think of this as the big picture, the context here. It's talking about why is God allowing so much bad stuff going on in the world and all the things. I tell you, beginning of the year 2016, there's a lot of bad stuff. And I don't know you pray this way, but sometimes I go, God, why did not you just come? Look at what we're doing with your world. Why are you delaying? Why is it taking so long? And it says here, Peter writes, He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end. Notice this. Because He doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Now, what's that verse telling you about God? It's talking about His intentions. Even gives a hint at why He allows some bad stuff to happen in the world without doing what He could do and saying, Enough! But even more importantly, I think it tells us this. That God's heart beats strongly for people who are far away from him. Do you remember Jesus' view of the crowd? He doesn't want people to stay there. And I don't know all the ins and outs theologically of what that means. And please don't come after the message and tell me all these different things. All I'm telling you is this is part of the Bible. It's that mystery of knowing that God He does the work of raising up faith in people. On the other hand, he invites everybody to come to himself. And somewhere in the middle of that, I live and you live. That's the place where we are, the mystery of the gospel. In fact, I don't want to go this far because I know God, I don't want to give God human characteristics, but thinking of it in terms that we understand. And please, again, I know God doesn't do this, but to help get the point, I think this bothers God enough that it keeps him awake at night, so to speak. Figuratively speaking, it gives him ulcers. It makes him lose his appetite. He's waiting, he's agonizing. He doesn't want anyone lost. In fact, it bothers him so much. I think this is a pretty, this shows you how much it bothers God. He is delaying coming and restoring everything to the way it should be, he's delaying that because his heart is heavy for those who need to hear about him. I don't know how that jives with your perspective of God and your part in the whole equation, but I tell you this, Peter tells us, this is what God is like. And I want to say, if we're going to share our faith, you need to know this about God, that he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He doesn't want that. That's the S. Be sure of God's intentions. The H. Count on the Holy Spirit. Count on the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing I gotta tell you as somebody who's been a church planter, um, and I'll, I'll tell you this because sometimes people get the idea that people who share their faith are extroverts or they love to go out and do that, I gotta tell you, I am probably the world's biggest introvert. I'm shy, I actually am. And you can be a shy person and be upfront, but when I'm, my favorite place is actually sitting on the side of the crowd. And I like to watch people, and I like to notice people and see things. But one of the things I tell you, the only way I would ever share my faith with a person is because I'm counting on the Holy Spirit. I know what what the Holy Spirit's part is, and I know what my part is, what my assignment is. I want to just say a few things about that. Jesus in the book of Acts, Jesus quoted by Luke in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you notice? He says, Jesus says, right before he's going to leave and go back to his father. And I'm doing this, he says, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, there's a whole message about the Holy Spirit again. We could have a couple of more, a whole series on it. But one important thing Jesus tells his disciples, that The power is going to come. Don't do anything until my Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, he's going to give you power. Why? What's the purpose of the power? So that you can be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and I don't know if you know that passage, kind of like starting here, going out, going out, going out. To the whole world, you can be my witnesses. And that choice of that word witness, I want to just say a few things about that. What is a witness? What is a witness? A witness is a person who has seen or experienced something firsthand. You can't be a witness from a distance. Or you can, I mean, you can read something, but even there you're reading and and you're seeing or hearing about something. But normally the word witness means firsthand experience. When you're called to come to court to be a faithful witness in a murder trial, the court is asking you to testify because you saw something, you know something you have something to say about it. You have first-hand evidence. You're called to be a witness. And I want to just say, I think that's what Jesus is saying we're called to do, to be a first-hand witness to the power and love of God working in your life, to be a witness of that. You can't be a witness if you haven't experienced that But once you have, once you know and understand the gospel, it's permeated into your heart. It's become part of who you are. It's what drives your life. It's what changed your heart. It's what gives you joy. When you have that firsthand account and witness of God, then what what Jesus says is, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so you can do that well. But once you have that, I want to just ask you this. Don't you think it would be overwhelmingly wrong to be a witness and to keep your mouth shut? What do you think of people who are in a murder trial, they're up front and they swear, they put their hand in the Bible and they're asked to call to, to be a witness and they tell a false testimony or even maybe they don't get that far, they just keep their mouth shut, mm, it has nothing to do with me, and they, they never really act as a witness, What do you think of somebody who sees a little kid get beat up and walks on by? What do you think of somebody who who witnesses a murder but drives on past? When you're a witness with a conscience, there's some some responsibility that comes with that. And here's now I want to say what the Holy Spirit's part is. Your job, friend, my job in this evangelism thing is not to save somebody. You can't save anyone more than than you could go and, and... Say you have a a billion dollars to go do all you can when you don't have it. You You don't have the power to save a person. I don't have the power. We don't have the power to bring transformation in someone's life. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to do that entirely. But what I can do is I can say, you know what? There's this God who came into my life, and I don't know why, but... I used to be somebody who worried a lot, I was cranky, or whatever your situation is, and he's bringing a real honesty and an accountability into my life, and it's changing the way I'm treating people around me. I can do that. Do you think you could do that? Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. And if you come through on your part of this interaction, on this task that we're going to do together, this mission, lots of people are going to come to faith, Lots of people will join my family. Lots of people will enter purpose-filled lives. And lots of folks are going to get the experience of being able to be witnesses as well. And the Holy Spirit will empower you. But here's what. You need to be my witness. Now, some of us might be feeling, because I feel that sometimes, that's a lot of responsibility. I just want to encourage you, remember, you just open your mouth It doesn't have to be. You don't have to learn 17 different ways to share your faith. You don't have to take 16 courses to make sure you know what to say if somebody asks you this question or that question. Really, all you have to do, the Holy Spirit's doing the work, is you open your mouth, you go, you know what? This is what Jesus is doing in my life. Here's what he's doing in my heart. So that's the H. Count on the Holy Spirit. The A. The A. Allow God's grace to permeate your life. I want to read the verse here from Paul, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. God saved you by a special favor when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now there's an entire message just in this little verse. Let me say this. Nobody and nothing is gonna motivate me to share my faith more than remembering how God has treated me. Do you know how God has treated you, friend? We had that confession and assurance part this morning and I know it happens on Sundays and we do this, but do you ever just, you sit in church and you go, wow, is that true? I mean, I know what my week was like. I know what my heart is like. I know how I've messed up. I know how I've blown it. And before, despite all those things, God comes in his grace. And he says, I want to welcome you into my family. Come here and let me change you from the inside out. And if you're a Jesus follower, he came into your life, Paul reminds us. Not because we're so special. Not because we deserve special treatment but because of his love and mercy. And That's pretty motivating when you think of it because isn't that what other people need? If God treats me that way, all he wants is for us to treat other people the same way as we were treated. We need to let God's grace that was extended to us so permeate our lives that it comes out of our pores. I want to tell you, without the reminder that I was lost, but now I'm found. Without that reminder, I don't think I can be a very good witness. It's motivating to me to remember that. How about you? Does that motivate you? Let's move to the R. R is for realize where people are coming from. Realize where people are coming from. Just building on what I just said. You know, one of the things always strikes me, somebody who's been a church planter, I've seen people mess up a lot. I mess up a lot. But you know what? When you go to people and you meet a lot of people who don't have God in their life, there's a lot of messiness and a lot of things that happen. And I want to just say, why is it we sometimes expect it to be different than that? Like, don't we we say that it's Jesus Christ in our lives that changes us? So when you look at people, and their lives are messy, and and they're acting in ways that you go, what in the world is going on around me? I want to just say, realize where people are coming from. They are coming from a place where they don't know God. And one of the best things you can do is just relax in that, get used to a little messiness. And then honor where they're coming from, and listen to them, and hear their struggles, and know their stories. After all, there's nothing more precious to somebody when somebody actually listens to them, hears their story without judgment, figures out where they're coming from. When somebody does that, it's very unique in our world today. Whenever you want to share and be a witness to somebody else, begin by getting to know them and letting them get to know you. And I would encourage you, letting them get to know you warts and all, not the sanitized version. Warts and all, because it's God's grace that we're introducing them to. It's Jesus, not that I'm a great person. It's Jesus working in me that I want them to see. Listen again, Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so very much, that even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised us up. I love how God came to me when I wasn't ready to come to Him. And he came and he started working in my heart and started making me alive and awake to what he is all about. And that's the thing that changed me. I don't know what it was for you, but I had lots of stuff in my life. But he came and he promised. And I just believe it's very important we give the same benefit to other people that we meet. We owe other people that. So that's the R. Realize where people are coming from. I want to end now... And I don't know if I did my part to get us out by 11:30. <laughs> Exercise humility and gentleness. Paul writes one more thing: "Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Now I know that's first of all talking about the inside the church, but I think it has application for what we're talking about here as well. Over the years, i got to tell you, as a church planter, I've probably had uh, hundreds of conversations with people who were not Christians about their faith. It's amazing, one benefit of being a pastor is some people get scared off, but others, they'll open up and say things to you you don't believe, just, uh, it comes out. And I hear the same chorus over and over and over again. And it's usually questions like this. please, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty as much as just please hear this. Why do religious people seem so judgmental? That's one thing I've heard. Here's another one. Why do religious people seem like they got it so all together? That's another one I've heard a lot. You know what that does? They they don't feel they could ever belong. Because they know they don't have it all together. And you know what the truth is? Do we have it together? I don't think so. Now, I know that's a blanket criticism, but I think we need to hear it. The message of, the, of salvation, the message of Christianity in North America today is clouded by all the conversations that, first of all, come off like we know what we're talking about, critical of everything else going on, or blanket statement like we have it together and they don't. I want to tell you, everything I've said so far this morning, remember Jesus, when he looked at the crowds, he looked at them. And he had compassion. He had compassion for them. I want to just say this to you. Please hear me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a calling. Sharing your faith, being a witness, is not something for missionaries that are going to Africa, it's not something for a few crazy extroverts. It's not something for people with the gift of evangelism. Sometimes I hate spiritual gift tests. They compartmentalize things and say, you're going to do that, I'm going to do that. I want to just tell you, this comes with the territory. And in your own way, out of who you are, will you, will you dare to say, God, will you show me some people today? I just want to be a good witness for you. And when you get an opportunity... You don't have to start having a spiel or a script or anything else. Tell people what God is doing in your life. And be honest. Do it with humility, with gentleness. Why is that so critical? Because God's reputation is at stake. When we're judgmental, rude, or pushy, what do you think that makes people think God is? When we're arrogant and we come off like we know everything... Or when we come off as perfect, without fault, what do you think that makes God feel and look like? Exercise humility and gentleness. Would you do that with me? You know, when I look around in this crowd, and as I prayed this morning, getting ready, I know there'd be probably an auditorium filled with people, 800, 850 people. And driving here this morning, thinking about Kitchener, What great potential is in this room? What could it be? What could 2016 be? And I hope as you fill out your survey, and I don't even know what it says, and you build a plan and everything else, what could it be like if we just took seriously the words of Jesus when he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses in Kitchener and to the ends of the world? You know, I started my message this morning by telling you um, the story of how I really, really blew it. And I've blown it lots of other times. But I've also been part of some communities that have seen God at work in some, so many ways. And not because we knew what we were doing, but I do say this. Because we got serious about figuring out what this witness thing was. And I know that you've seen it happen here as well at Community CRC. My desire is for us to be good witnesses for Jesus Christ in 2016. I think that would be something to make this year a great year about. I want to just remind you, it's because people need the Lord. Do you know? They really do. They need the Lord. And in order for them to discover that, they need people like you and I. In God's wisdom, He designed it that way. People like you and I, to be witnesses working hand-in-hand with the Holy Spirit of what God can do in and through their lives. And I want to just end this message by just inviting you to pray with me that that would be something that increasingly will happen among us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love that picture. I come back to it often. you walking through the crowds in the towns. And as you walked, you walked with your head up. And you looked around and you saw people in the marketplace, people in the synagogues, people on the road. And Matthew points out to us that you had compassion on them. That image means so much. God, that you have compassion on us. I thank you, Lord, that you have compassion on the people of this room. Not only did you come to them and introduce yourself to them through their parents, through a friendship, through a hard situation in their life, whatever it was, you came in your grace and you reminded them that they are important to you. Lord, will you remind us that there are many others that need to hear that same thing? And help us to get over whatever blockages the devil likes to put in our way to make us think we can't be part of that. Remind us that we are your witnesses. We will witness what you are doing in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll give us that conviction. You'll give us that hope. And you'll give us an expectation that you will work in and through us. We ask this in your name. Amen.